you're listening to the seventh generation sharing compelling stories today to inspire a flourishing tomorrow My guest today is Brian Lashier. Brian is a policy associate at the Environmental and Energy Study Institute, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization based in Washington, D.C. EESI is best known for its Capitol Hill briefings that educate Congress, business leaders, and other stakeholders on the important environmental and energy issues that we face. EESI works with members of both parties to advance win-win policy solutions that help to mitigate and adapt to climate to uh, climate change, lower our energy bills, and bolster national security as well as economic competitiveness. With the Trump administration busy planning all kinds of new energy rules, I was really happy to have Brian on to explain some of these policies and what they could mean for our energy future. With the uh, Trump administration uh, implementing a number of pro-fossil fuel policies, I wanted to start by asking you about one of the most recent proposals, and this is a rule designed to help buttress a struggling coal industry by paying coal-fired power plants more for their electricity um, and actually decreasing the payments to renewable and natural gas. The rationale that the Department of Energy Secretary Rick Perry gives for this rule is that the power grid is actually at risk for reliability issues um, because natural gas and renewable energy have been uh, replacing coal over the last couple of decades. But his department's own study conducted just this summer actually contradicts this argument. <laughs> um, so is Secretary Perry right? Does the grid actually need more coal? Well, I think that the uh, U.S. utility sector has actually already answered this question uh, with the actions that they've taken over the, over the last uh, several years. Um, there's been a very clear... Uh, trend away from uh, one building new coal-fired power plants and also just investing uh, generally in, in maintaining uh, the ones that they have. Um, so uh, you, it's been clear that that utilities sector um, has been investing more and more in natural gas mm-hmm. and renewable energy. Uh, so I, I, I think that's a clear rebuttal to some of the things that Secretary Perry is trying to to prioritize in some of the statements that he's been making uh, most recently. Um, and if you look at the numbers, so I mentioned that there's been a steady decline uh, in, in coal-fired electricity, uh, and this has been largely due to uh, shift, shifts in the market uh, and the uh, result of uh, relatively inexpensive natural gas um, uh, driven uh, by t- new technologies such as fracking and other things that have made that available. Um, uh, regulation has played a lesser role in that. It, it really is. The decline of coal really has been due to market forces and, and uh, a shift away in preference on, on behalf of the utilities and on behalf of consumers as well. Um, uh, coal itself has actually, in the United States, coal has declined around 30%. Uh, uh, and, oh, sorry, it declined to uh, its current level of 30% uh, of U.S. electricity generation, uh, which is actually down uh, from 50% usage mm-hmm. uh, just in 2008. So it's been, it's been, pretty, it's been pretty rapid. Um, uh, and I, I think it's going to continue uh, because renewable energy is uh, uh, becoming uh, more and more prevalent. Uh, the technologies uh, are becoming uh, more and more inexpensive. Um, wind and solar in particular have been really booming in the United States. Um, and uh, if you look at where uh, the money is going from these utilities um, that actually 
ride the electricity. That's where that's where they've been. That's where they've been making right. their investments. Um, and also, if you look at sort of uh, state uh, state and local level uh, uh, policies, mm-hmm. uh, they've been embracing renewable energy mm-hmm. and natural gas to an extent as well. Um, so I think. Um, um, yeah, so I'll just leave. I'll just leave that there. But the study yeah. itself, going back to the Department of Energy mm-hmm. study, um, it actually uh, concluded that you know, the, the decline of you know, coal-fired electricity is, is not is, it is not a threat to grid reliability. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it came to uh, the study came to one conclusion, and um, some of the public statements that Secretary Perry has been making have sort of um, undercut that conclusion of his department's own report. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's sort of um, I guess typical at this point of, of this current administration, uh, where uh, priorities don't always line up uh, uh, within within the government. But um, but as far as um, so so what is going to happen? Uh, so obviously you need you still you still need um, uh, that uh, presence of what's what's usually, what's usually referred to as, as kind of the base load uh, generating capacity, and but natural gas is filling that role. Um, so you have natural gas-fired power plants that, that are providing that role mm-hmm. as renewables continue to get stronger, continue to assert their presence on the grid. And as you have these new uh, innovations coming online that make renewables even more robust and even more reliable than they already are, um, things like, um, uh, like battery, uh, battery-based battery systems, uh, uh, microgrids, smart grids, um, all these different types of technologies that, that take renewables and, and make them even better and allow them to be better in to the grid, which I think is going to be one of the uh, challenges uh, going forward as the renewable uh, renewable energy usage continues to uh, uh, to c- continues to grow. Um, but I, I have no doubt that um, the technologies we have available today and the the direction of investment will will meet that mm-hmm. challenge. Um, so um, so yeah yeah and um, yeah and you actually you know you mentioned that um, you know the uh, market forces are leading to. Um, solar and wind and some others, but especially, like you said, wind and solar sources uh, growing at, at uh, consistently um, pretty rapid paces. Um, so um, I, just, I guess that leads me into my, ne- my next question, which is the uh, Trump solar expected, uh, he's expected to enact a solar tariff on uh, solar panel imports. Um, so uh, my question is, what kind of impact uh should we expect this to have on the uh, demand for solar installations, um, given that um, I guess we've already seen some indications that um, the market's reacting uh, with a little bit of an increase in uh, solar solar prices on, on modules? Right. Well, I think the demand is, is still going to be there, but uh, but it's a matter of um, whether the, the follow-through is going to be there, uh, whether people are going to actually continue to invest as the prices increase. And I think, you know, I think that's, um, I think that type of investment is is, is going to drop uh, if a tariff is if an import tariff is put in place, um, and it's it's it strikes me as, as sort of short sighted because one one aspect um, of a tariff going in is that the U.S. doesn't just manufacture uh, they don't just manufacture photovoltaic systems they also you know market install uh, maintain them there's all these different parts of the broader uh, solar industry. Um, that are that are that uh, are major source of employment in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in addition to producing electricity itself in the utility sector, which is another which is another major component of that, and uh, all of that I think is going to be uh, hindered uh, by 
the import tariff mm-hmm. um, or whatever whatever um, uh, uh, trade policy they, they decide to put in place. Um, and uh, it, it's a very interconnected industry. Um, and some analysts have said that you could see like a doubling of the cost of solar panels in the United States um, in some cases. And um, considering that solar manufacturing employs 38,000 Americans within a broader industry, the solar industry that employs 260,000 Americans, um, and that that number is still growing. Um, you can you can see that it's uh, the manufacturing side of things, which this trade dispute has focused on, is just one uh, one part of uh, of the industry. So I think there's going to be widespread effects um, yeah. from from an employment perspective. There's going to be widespread effects um, as far as the number of solar installations that you see going in, um, particularly. Uh, um, on the utility side of things, yeah. which, I, which I believe is where the majority of the most what the, of the most recent growth has, has taken place. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I absolutely think that um, you know, th- depending on what they put in there, I absolutely think that there's going to you're going to see some negative effects as far as uh, investment and growth of the solar industry. Yeah, and of course that's you know um, definitely unfortunate for the for the uh, energy industry and. Uh, more importantly for, you know, the uh, consumers themselves because, and the economy, because um, obviously the, the solar industry had been growing um, consistently. And um, in, in addition to that, um, which, and this is, uh, this of course had, had helped spur this growth, the cost have been um, falling year after year. Um, so this is kind of definitely, it's a, uh, based on what you're saying, it's a, it's a pretty unfortunate um, development uh, to kind of stop some of the um, if not stop stop the growth in this tracks, definitely uh, hinder it a little bit and, and curb the, the great growth we've been seeing. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, you mentioned, um, uh, you know, a little bit um, about the uh, state and local climate policies and or energy policies, rather, and, and clean energy and energy efficiency. And I wanted to ask you more about um, that, uh, because, you know, many cities and states have been more vocal in their support for clean energy and energy efficiency, um, especially since the Trump administ- administration had taken over. And um, some of them have actually stepped up their plans to promote sustainable energy. So I wanted to ask you more specifically um, what, what state and local governments are doing well uh, in this area and also uh, what they can do to improve their um, policies on clean energy and energy efficiency. Uh, yes. Um, so I, uh, I definitely uh, am very excited about um, sort of what's happening at the state and local level. Um, I think sometimes it gets a little lost in the national conversation, um, and there's a lot of focus on sort of what's not happening at the federal level, but there's so much happening at the, at the, uh, at the other levels of government. Um, and as far as uh, who's, who's, uh, who the big players are, I think it's, it, you know, it depends on, there's so many different ways to make an impact in this area, and, and there's so many different scales to these types of solutions. Uh, then, you know, I could point to the, to the major players, or the, the ones that you hear about most often, rather, uh, California, New York, um, uh, other, other, other places. There's the, the Pacific Northwest usually gets a shout-out. Um, uh, Chicago is, is another major player. There's so, many, there's so many different places. But if you look, you like, if you look um, at, I think you can look all across the country, and identify communities <coughs> and state governments that have really embraced at least one aspect, if not, if not many aspects, of kind of uh, uh, greenhouse gas emission reductions or uh, uh, climate adaptation or other things. Like if you look at um, if you look at Texas, for instance, Texas is has become known for um, its uh, renewable energy industry. Um, wind energy is is thriving in Texas. Um, 
so uh, there, I think no matter where you look, um, it's not really, it's not always fair to single out, you know, Cal like, like California every time, although they're doing fantastic things and it's, it's really impressive. Uh, and they're actually a leader um, on a lot of different policies uh, and practices that, that have been going forward. Um, it, it, I think you can look anywhere in the country and, and find um, uh, positive trends in that area. But as far as what they're doing well, um, again, without uh, it'd be hard for me to go into, into specifics, but um, I think it's kind of across the board, whether it's energy efficiency, um, better building standards, uh, more sustainable building materials, um, having more diversity in energy portfolio, going back to some of the the things that we talked about earlier, um, you know, that having that transition away from uh, sort of carbon-heavy uh, uh, electricity and, and moving more in, into renewables or, or natural gas or other or other cleaner uh, forms of energy um, is is great. Um, cities are doing more and more on transportation. Um, they're trying to uh, uh, grow and improve their public transit systems. Uh, they're trying to grow and improve uh, bicycle infrastructure. I, I know. Uh, DC, for instance, you know that's one of the things they're they're really going after is, is getting more people on bikes and, and taking care of congestion and yeah. Yeah. traffic and all that, which which has an and has, has an effect on emissions, which has an effect on public health. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what's driving a lot of uh, these places is that they recognize the, the you know the, the benefits uh, uh, not only for you know, broader uh, you know dealing with greenhouse gas emissions, which is which is um, uh, you know, a global problem, climate change is a global problem, but also the, lo the local level benefits of, of, you know, improving air quality and health and, and just the general uh, livability of, of a city. Um, and, um, yeah, and I think one thing that maybe they can continue to work on, which which I'm sure can be said of, of anywhere in any sort of policy field, is just continuing to engage with the community and, and constituents and the people who are actually on the ground um, uh, having to deal, either having to deal with, uh, you know, the, uh, the downside of whether it's a new policy that, you know, has some growing pains or whether it's, uh, you know, an old coal-fired power plant or an incinerator or something that's in, that's in, in, the, in, in a community. Uh, I think working with the people who are actually dealing with that, you know, they being the, um, uh, uh, the, the local government officials, public officials, mm -hmm. um, I think that's the way to go in, in sort of developing these sort of solutions. Um, and as far as um, uh, things that are kind of moving forward on that front, um, Kind of going going more broadly, um, I know that there have been talks. Um, there's a whole bunch of different coalitions out there of, of sort of uh, city, state, even private sector uh, and NGOs um, uh, on, on um, uh, climate change, uh, specifically go heading into the next round of United Nations uh, climate negotiations and, and uh, uh, continuing to implement the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, so there's all these different coalitions, uh, and there's been some talk of trying to get them some sort of official, like, seat at the table, um, mm, and yeah. that, would, that would require some tweaking of the rules um, that are currently in place. But I know that um, international uh, leaders um, and people who deal with this deal with this space um, are very interested in seeing uh, those voices come from the U.S. Um, those those state and local public officials. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, represent the U.S. The federal government has sort of left a, a leadership void uh, to some extent. There is a delegation going, of course, um, but um, it's, it's, you can't really deny the signals that have been coming from the White House with regard to climate. So I think people are willing or looking to embrace um, this this uh, 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 this movement uh, at the local level. Yeah, and um, you know, regardless of uh, the political uh, stances. Um, on the White House and, and uh, various government government officials, um, you know, uh, Americans themselves, uh, according to a uh, a poll from 
public opinion strategies, uh, I believe it was earlier in the spring of this year, but um, it showed that 64% of Americans are actually willing to pay a little bit more for uh, to support clean energy, and that actually includes, I believe, a, a either majority or close to ma very close to a majority of uh, conservatives as well. Um, so um, that indicates to me that you know people, to some degree, are seeing the value in renewable energy um, for our health and environment. Um, and um, you know, however, every year the, that that premise kind of that, that clean energy raises energy costs is getting becoming less and less true. Um, so my question is, uh, can you kind of briefly lay out the case, uh, econ the economic case for renewable energy? Well, uh, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, um, as these um, uh, more, more and more renewable energy uh, infrastructure has, has been put in place, um, uh, the co costs have been coming down um, it's, as, as it's been uh, adopted more widely. Um, so, so that gets passed on to the consumer, of course, um, and it's it's just like any new technology. When you know, uh, if, you know, early early adopters, you know, whether it's like a like a, like a handheld you know device or a, like a game console or something, you know, the early adopters are the ones who are going to pay more. But then, as um, you know, it gets you know the, the price the price drops. It's for any it's like the same as same with any technology. So renewable energy is no exception, um, and we're sort of seeing um, a really significant. Uh, decline in prices for solar and wind, um, and I think as people have figured out more and more, or in the policies have been put in place to back up these types of things, uh, people are finding more and more that they are um, uh, able to get creative with these things. So uh, residential solar is a really exciting uh, front there. Um, the, the, the scale of these types of systems, you know, uh, has has been very diverse. Whether you're talking utility scale. Um, or uh, you know, just putting a solar panel on, on someone's roof. Um, people are people are getting really excited at the local level about sort of generating their own electricity, and there's there's um, uh, starting to be more um, uh, more enthusiasm from uh, governments and utilities for, for, for to facilitate that. Uh, I feel like I'm getting kind of off track here, but yeah, it's it, there's lots and lots of arguments to be made uh, for um, the economics of renewable energy. I mean, I could I could go on and on about. Um, another thing I mentioned, the public health impacts mm -hmm. of, re of, re of replacing sort of uh, uh, you know, pollution-heavy, emissions-heavy mm -hmm. uh, sources of electricity with renewable energy. Um, and there's um, uh, supply chain benefits as well. Um, for instance, um, going back to the, to the comments by uh, Secretary Perry about, about how coal is needed to make the grid more secure, well... Uh, if you look at, you know, a coal-fired power plant, well, you have this whole supply chain to actually get the coal to the plant, um, and you don't really have that with solar and wind, uh, or you don't have that with solar and wind. So if, if you know, if a storm rolls through and, and disrupts uh, the supply chain of that, um, you could have, you know, you could have plants uh, not, you know, at full capacity or not functioning, whereas renewable energy is, is more resilient uh, to those two yeah. types of uh, uh, natural disasters and disruptions. Um, so, uh, there's lots of benefits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and just uh, quickly related to that. Um, so, uh, you know, you just, you mentioned, you know, um, resiliency and of course, like you mentioned the storms and that's very, um, topical because, um, of course we had the string of, uh, three, at least, you know, three, three major hurricanes come through. Um, and you know, obviously Puerto Rico is still, and, and, and really all the cities are still that are affected are still cleaning up from it. So, 
um, you know, is that is that is that one of the reasons that um, the military and um, uh, the Department of, of Defense is uh, kind of really, I guess, been a leader in uh, in deployment of clean energy and clean fuels and and uh, energy efficiency energy efficiency um, over the last decade or so. Is, is that really is that kind of uh, what's been driving their their push um, to invest in these things? Um, well, that's that's definitely um, that's definitely part of it, um, and it's sort of the the way the Department of Defense has approached this um, is kind of a multifaceted uh, thing. Uh, in that, they're on, on the one hand they're trying to um, reduce their carbon footprint um, because it, it, one, there's from from an economic standpoint, um, you know, two, from a, a vulnerability and reliability standpoint, in that if they're generating their own electricity and they're less reliant on the broader uh, energy grid, uh, if something, if there's a disruption, um, uh, if something happens, whether it's a natural disaster or something more, uh, you know, intentional, more malicious, um, they they will be more able to respond and continue um, their operations and maintain their readiness if they have that, um, you know, if they have that uh, renewable energy uh, system that is able to, that is able to continue generating. Um, uh, as opposed to you know the you know power plant located uh, many many miles away that's to you know convey electricity to the grid. But there's 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 um, other aspects of that as well. Um, in that uh, there's been a lot of uh, discussion over uh, uh, the role of climate change uh, as a threat multiplier uh, and the challenges that poses to the U.S. military in particular. Um, and what I mean by, by what I mean by threat multiplier is that there's obviously there are uh, many uh, uh, issues, many many challenges, uh, uh, conditions throughout the world already, but climate change basically comes in and makes those things that much worse. Um, it amplifies those 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 threats uh, or potential threats. Um, so um, uh, things. I'm trying to think. There's there's a lot of different approaches to it. It's, it's a really big question. We could probably do like a whole interview just yeah. on uh, sort of the Department of Defense's approach to climate change as far as yeah. um, adaptation and mitigation. Um, but um, I think you, I think uh, your um, uh, uh, reference to Puerto Rico is is apt in that um, DoD is also uh, responsible, oftentimes, for responding to these natural disasters and providing and delivering aid and and you know helping these communities uh, get back on their feet uh, in in the you know in the immediate aftermath of the storm and the, the more. Uh, uh, vulnerable communities, uh, not just Puerto Rico, but any, you know, anywhere in the United States, more vulnerable communities uh, invest in adaptation measures um, to uh, defend themselves against these these natural disasters, you know, extreme weather events, other things that are affiliated with climate. Uh, the uh, the less of a role uh, the U.S. government will have to play. Um, so there, if you want, if you want to get really, um, uh, 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 if you want to really drill down, it, it comes down to sort of a, a taxpayer. Issue, you know, how many right. how many tax dollars are, are uh, having to be sunk into, or having having to be used to um, address the aftermath of these types of events. Whereas, if you have these defenses in place, um, and your and your and communities are better prepared to withstand those types of uh, situations, then it, it's it's a much better uh, it's much better much uh, uh, much better investment. 